may be seated. As I mentioned at the beginning of our worship service, it was nice to get the batteries recharged. It's wonderful to be back here. I meant to say and forgot at that time a, a thank you to, to Chris, who filled in a couple weeks ago, as well as Cameron Schaefer, who filled in last week. We were really blessed as a church to have folks like Chris who are so gifted to be able to play the organ, to sing, to lead music, and, and to even get up and preach on occasion. And it's a real blessing to us as a congregation. I just want you all to know, though, that, that each of you are gifted. Each of you are gifted in a different way to serve the body of Christ. And each of those gifts are, are equally valuable to the body. Uh, you might not be a preacher. <laughs> you might not be a teacher. You might not be a musician. But there, there's a place for you in the body of Christ to use those gifts that God has given you to serve the body. And what a blessing it is that God knits us all together as one body to use those gifts for his glory. We've been looking through the Psalms. Today we come to Psalm 42 and 43. We're going to look at them together. Throughout this series we've looked at all kinds of Psalms. Psalms of wisdom, Psalms of praise, royal Psalms, penitential Psalms, Songs of Zion, Songs of Ascent. And this morning we will look at one of the most common kind of psalms, a psalm of lament. There are, there are psalms of lament that are corporate laments, community laments. And this morning we look at one that is more of a, an individual lament. And we look at it as one lament, Psalm 42 and 43 together, because I believe that they're actually intended to be together. They can be read or sung separately for sure. They stand alone on their own, but I believe that they're intended to be brought together. First of all, for, for the reason that uh, in, in the original script there was a, a title above Psalm 42 that, that we translate to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. We often see titles like this at the top of Psalms, but there is no such title at the start of Psalm 43. Secondly, there is a repeated refrain that occurs two times in Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It occurs in verse 5 and then again at the end of Psalm 42. It also occurs at the end of Psalm 43. And I think if we take Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 together... And understand it to be a song that has three verses with that refrain after each of those three verses. It is the proper way to understand it. So follow along now as I read from Psalm 42 and 43. But before we do that, let's ask God for his blessing as we read his word. Our Heavenly Father, we, we do come before you today knowing that our minds are, are only so capable that they often even get in our way of understanding. For true understanding of your word comes not only from our minds, but from our hearts. And we ask that you would uh, give us hearts and minds to understand because our eyes are blind to your truth, our ears are, are deaf to the reality of your truth, and our hearts are hearts of stone apart from your spirit bringing them to life, that they might receive the seed of your, world, your word as fertile soil for it to be planted in them that it might flower into faith that trusts in you and leans on you and depends upon you we pray that that indeed might occur even today that your truth might be 
planted within us that it might grow and blossom into beautiful faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Follow along now as I read from Psalms 42 and 43. This is the inspired word of God. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to God, the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre. O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The Psalms as a whole, we understand, is a, a book that has 150 different Psalms in it. But, but it can be helpful at times to understand that that they weren't necessarily originally just a, a group of 150 psalms. Uh, they're largely understood to be actually a collection of, of five different books of, of psalms that have been knit together, that have been brought together, all certainly authored under the inspiration of God, all certainly intended by God to be a part of the Holy Scriptures, but but all coming from different sources, much the same as the Bible as a whole is written by many authors at many different times in many different contexts. And, and as we understand these five books of Psalms, Psalm 42 and 43 are actually the first ones in book two. And there are a number of the Psalms in this book that are, are 
said to be for the sons or of the sons of Korah. And we might, we might wonder, well, well, who exactly are these sons of Korah? What, what are they? And, and what most of the commentators suggest is that they were uh, a guild or group of temple musicians that, that helped lead the worship of the people of God. Uh, we, we wouldn't have anything quite like it, but it might be something like something like the choir here at Calvary, or, or perhaps at some other church that has a, a worship band, maybe. Uh, it might be that worship band, the people who lead in the singing of, of the songs of worship, this group of musicians uh, that, that lead in worship. Uh, Derek Kidner, one commentator on this passage, says that this psalm is a lament of a temple singer exiled in the north. And I think he's right in that. I think what we're looking at is this, this lament that is being sung by this singer who's, who's not at the temple. He's not where he longs to be. He's not where he is meant to be in his heart. He is instead exiled from the place of God's presence. And he cries out in these psalms. He cries out because he feels separated from God. He longs for the presence of God, the care of God, and ultimately the vindication of God. You know, sometimes, sometimes songs don't really match up quite right with the tune that they're sung to. Um, I, know, I know Chris, before worship today, as we were listening to the prelude, he, he played... Uh, hymn number 548 in our hymnal, as the deer panteth for the water. And, and it, it kind of caused me to think about this fact, that sometimes tunes don't match up exactly like I think they should. Um, maybe you're familiar with, with the song uh, by the Everly Brothers back from 1957, Bye Bye Love. You know, some of you are probably too young to know that song. Others of you remember that song by the Everly Brothers. It, it reached number two on the Billboard charts. And if, if you are or aren't familiar with it, here, here are some of the lyrics to that song. It, it's really a, a desperately sad song. Listen. Bye-bye love. Bye-bye happiness. Hello loneliness. I think I'm going to cry. Bye-bye love. Bye-bye sweet caress. Hello emptiness. I feel like. I could die. Bye-bye, my love. Goodbye. That's, that is terribly sad. I mean, that is, that is as desperately sad as you could possibly be, isn't it? But if you know the song, you, you know how the tune goes, don't you? It's bye-bye, love. Bye-bye. You, you can't sing it without a smile on your face. The tune doesn't fit the song. At all. And as I, as I thought this week about our hymn number 548 that Chris was playing beforehand, uh, I, I thought it's kind of like that. In my mind, anyway, at least the, the things it associates with me is as, as I hear this, As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longs after you. I, I, I think it just kind of evokes these ideas of, of this deer gently drinking from a flowing stream as it comes by and the birds are tweeting and it's sweet and wonderful. That, that's how the tune makes me feel anyway. But that's, that's not 
what the words actually say in the psalm. Listen again. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come to fear before God? You see, we have, we have a temple singer here who, who longs to be back at the temple, not just longing to be at the temple for all the accoutrements of worship, but, but, but longing to be there because he longs for the God who is worshipped there. As one commentator aptly put it, the truly pious are never satisfied with the ordinances of God without the God of the ordinances. He wants to be with God, but he, he feels he is not with God. He is longing as the deer pants for the water. Why does a deer pant for the water? He pants for it because he doesn't have it, right? Because he is thirsty. He, he has this great thirst, and it is not being satisfied. You know, it doesn't say, as the deer gently sips the water of the babbling brook. No, the deer is panting for water. You know, he's like the, the runner who's, who's run a marathon and is getting toward the end, and, and he's reading like this. You know, that's how the deer, he's panting. He, he's thirsty. He has not yet had that thirst satisfied. And the psalmist says, it is that way that my soul pants for you, O God. It is panting for you. My soul thirsts for you. It's not just a matter of going through some religious motions. It's not just, Lord, I, I want to go to church today because that's what I do on Sundays. No. My, my soul is hungering and thirsting for the living God. I want to meet the living God. I want to come before him face to face. I want to I want to interact with him. I want to, I want to relate to him and to have him relate to me. I want to know that he hears me and, and I want to hear his voice speak. And my tears have been my food day and night. My tears have, have, have been my food. He's, he's lost his appetite for food. He has the, have you ever been there where you've been so sad, you've been so down, so depressed, where, where you just kind of forget to eat. You know, uh, you, you wake up in the morning and you're down and you don't eat breakfast and lunch comes around and passes and you don't eat lunch. <clears throat> and the next thing you know, it's, it's dinner time and you think, I, I haven't even eaten all day. You're just so, so depressed, so down. That's how the psalmist is here. He can't do anything but weep and weep. And weep continually. So my tears have been my food. That's all I've eaten is my tears. And my tears continually say to me, where is your God? My tears mock me, as it were, he says. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there where, where you've been through such trial, through such difficulty, through such trauma in your life that your tears are, are ever-flowing and they seem to be mocking your faith in God. Seeming to be saying, if this God were real, wouldn't he do something about this? And, and then the natural reaction you have to that is likely you feel guilty, right? You feel guilty because, because why, I shouldn't be doubting like this. I shouldn't be struggling like this. If I truly believed I wouldn't be struggling, I'd have more faith and I'd just be happy all the time. But that's not true. 
That's not how the psalmist reacts. The psalmist writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit doesn't react that way. This gives us license, I believe, to be sad at times, to be mourning at times, to be lamenting at times, to to even wonder, why, Lord, why are you not feeling closer to me now? To express to him that that hunger, that thirst you have for him, that desire you have for him to be be close. And he says in verse 4, these things I I remember, I I remember these things, I I don't experience them right now, but I, I remember them as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. I remember worshiping God with God's people, leading them in worship, and how glorious it was and how wonderful it was. But I don't have that right now, Lord. I don't have that right now. I miss it. Where is it? For the first time in this passage, we see this thrice-repeated refrain with its two parts. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? He acknowledges the turmoil of his soul. He acknowledges his downcast soul. He he acknowledges that, yes, this, this is not good. I don't feel happy. I don't feel joy. There's sorrow and mourning and lamenting He prescribes an antidote to himself in the second part of this refrain. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He says, I I have this thirst. I have this longing and I'm in the the midst of a a spiritual drought, as it were. I I cannot find the water I need And he says to himself, okay, what what do I know to be true? I know I can hope in God. Even though I don't feel it, even though though I don't don't think it's just going to come easily, I know that it's true. I can hope in God, for for he is the one who is the, the living water that brings true life. Christ Jesus, as he, in John 4, met the Samaritan woman at the well, and he asked her to to get some water for him. And she was surprised that he would even speak to a Samaritan woman. And Jesus answers her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water in the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She didn't quite understand what he was saying. But she was trusting him. She was depending on him. Her feeble faith just reaching out toward him. And that's what we need to do in the midst of our drought, in the midst of our our thirst, is we need to reach out for Jesus. We need to reach out for him who is the, the one who brings living water. 
living water that, that satisfies our thirst. There's a blessing in thirsting for the living God. There's a blessing in thirsting for the living God, and it is that that thirst for the children of God will ultimately be satisfied. And is there anything that, that tastes better now, on a hot day? Let's say you've been out working in the yard, or you've been, been building something, you've been running, you've been working out, you've been doing whatever, and you're hot, and you're thirsty, and you're panting, and you come in and you get a glass of ice-cold water, and you drink it. And it just tastes so good. How is it possible that just some plain water could taste so good? It's because you're so thirsty. There is a blessing in thirsting for the living God. You get to know how good it tastes to drink of living water. When shall I come and appear before God? The psalmist asks in verse 2. This, this is a common question of God throughout the scriptures, throughout the psalms and the scriptures. This, this question, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long until you deliver me? How long until you return? How long until we see your glory? How long, O Lord? Our hearts cry that question out to God. How long, O Lord? God's most common answer to such a question is this. Not to give us a time frame. Not to say it'll be here. Mark it down on your calendar. It's coming up this date. No. His most common answer is this. I will be with you. It might be a day. It might be a week. It might be a month. It might be a year. But know this. I will be with you. So while your tears seemingly mock you, asking, where is God? God answers, I am right here. Even when you don't feel my presence, even when you, you don't notice me with you, even when you don't realize that I am working, I am here with you. And that's often what we need, isn't it? In the midst of our tears, as we are weeping over the problems of life, oftentimes what we need is just the presence of God. If there's one thing I've learned in nearly a quarter century of marriage, it is this. That when my wife is weeping over the problems in her life, oftentimes she does not need me to come in and fix those problems. What she needs is my presence. She needs me to be there with her in the midst of that. She needs to know that she is heard, and that she is understood, and that she is loved. And that is what God does for us. He wants to encourage us and assure us that in the midst of our problems, as we weep tears of mourning and pain and sorrow, that he knows us and he is there with us. We are heard and understood and loved. God is there. It's hard. It's a struggle. For sure. But we can hope in God. Now it's not as easy, of course, to just say the words, hope in God. I'm going to hope in God. Okay, now, now everything's good, right? No. It's not as easy as just saying it and it's done. 
We've seen how the psalmist longs for the presence of God. He longs also for the care of God. My soul is cast down within me, he says in verse 6. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mizar. These are in the north, far from the temple. They're along the, the border of Lebanon and Syria. Instead of being in, in Jerusalem at the temple where he should be, this is where he is exiled off in the north. It's, it's true that, is it not, that one of the worst parts of being being far from home, of feeling far from home, is the fear of danger, of not knowing what is going to befall you, not being comfortable, not being able to be assured of your safety. And, and this is what he says in verse 7, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. It echoes the language, first of all, of Genesis 1, all the way back in Genesis 1, verse 2, where the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And it's the same language used in Jonah, you might recall, from when we looked through Jonah not too long ago. In Jonah 2, Jonah cried out, You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. This is a dangerous situation he's in. He's, he's in a, a terrible and terrifying situation. But note this. When he speaks of the waterfalls and the breakers and the waves that seem so dangerous and so uncontrollable, how does he refer to them? He refers to them as your waterfalls, your breakers, your waves. He knows that these do not act on their own, but are God's, his own. He can control them, and he is in charge of them. And there is, there is an inner turmoil here for sure, because, because he knows the dangers that befall him. He knows the troubles that he's facing, but at the same time, he knows that God is in control of this situation. And so, so he's torn, and we see it in this psalm. He says, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And, and he's so, so positive in one breath. And then in the very next breath, in verse 9, I say to the Lord, my God, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? It was my tears a minute ago that were mocking me. Now it's my adversaries mocking me. Where is your God? Sometimes our adversaries might be might be human beings or a group of human beings but sometimes our adversary truly is satan and sin and death and they mock us and they say where is your god the psalmist cries out again why are you cast down on my soul why are you in turmoil within me hope in god for i shall again praise him my salvation and my you see, because only God can protect us, ultimately. We can try to protect ourselves, but ultimately it is only God who can bring us protection and we can be depended upon to do so always. And, and now you might say, Pete, you, you say that, but you, what about this? What about the time that this happened to me? What about the time I lost this loved one? What about the time that this person in my family had to go through this trial? It didn't seem like God protected them, and, and certainly... It might not seem like it to us, but God has his purposes that he is working through in our lives. Even the most terrible events that we can't understand, he is at work for our good and for his glory, ultimately. 
We might not understand that. I, I was thinking about this truth, and the words of, of a speech came to mind, actually. Uh, Robert Kennedy, when Martin Luther King was assassinated, gave a speech impromptu off, off the cuff with, uh, to a group of, of campaign workers in 1968 on that night in Indianapolis. And he quoted the Greek poet Aeschylus. This is one of my favorite passages. I don't want to get into politics or anything, but this is a beautiful passage of, of Aeschylus, the Greek poet. He said this, And even in our sleep, pain that cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the human heart. And in our own despair, against our will, comes wisdom to us by the awful grace of God. You see what Aeschylus was saying? He was saying that in the midst of our our most horrific experiences, in the most terrible of moments, moments that were we given the choice, we would choose never to go through them. Through those moments, God is at work by his grace, which seems awful to us in the moment. God is at work granting us wisdom, teaching us, growing us, building us up be the people he would have us be. A fellow pastor and friend, Matt Redmond, posted something online I saw just the other day. and It was interesting. He was referring to that passage of scripture where, where, where Paul says that, you know, that, that uh, he prays for the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, that it might guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and he said this. He said, it just dawned on me, the peace which surpasses all understanding will only be had when we thankfully rejoice in God while in circumstances that make no sense whatsoever. You see, you can't have a peace that surpasses understanding unless you're in a situation where it seems you should have no peace. Right? You have to be in a horrible situation. You have to be in a a terrible setting. A setting that you can't possibly, possibly fathom going through in order to experience the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. So sometimes God takes us through those so that we might know his peace, that peace that comes only from him. Because he does care for us. He is present. He does care for us. And even when we don't understand him and what he's up to, we know we can trust him. And so, finally, the psalmist calls out for vindication of God. Vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause against an ungodly people for the deceitful and unjust man deliver me. Prove me right, he says, God. God, prove me right here. Prove my faith, faltering though it may be, teetering and tottering, about to fall. Prove my faith to be grounded and dependable, not because of its strength, not because it is such a great faith, but because you are such a great God that I believe. Because you are mighty even when I am weak. Especially when I am weak. Especially through my weakness. You are strong. So prove my faith to be worthy because of your worthiness, Lord. And again, he prays this. Even as he is struggling with doubt and depression, you can see it in verse 2. You are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? 
I, I shouldn't have to do this if I was yours and you were mine. And yet this is what we're doing. Lord, send your light. Send your light to your truth and let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O oh God, my God. He says, take me by your light. Lead me. Direct me. Bring me to you, Lord. For it is you that I want to be with, you that I want to worship, you that I want to glorify. Now, now perhaps he means literally to the temple, but for the New Testament believer, we have a, a wonderful truth, do we not? That we don't need to go to Jerusalem to be with God. We don't need to go to Jerusalem to have the temple of God. For Jesus Christ is the true temple. The temple that was in Jerusalem was only a picture that pointed forward to him. Jesus is the true temple, the true place where sacrifice is made for, for man to be brought into the presence of God, the true place where our sins are atoned for in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. He is the true temple where God meets man, where, where we can come to, and where if we are a believer in him, where we have depended upon him, we can have fellowship with God, that fellowship that, that he is longing for, that care that he is longing for, that vindication that he is longing for is all met ultimately in Jesus Christ. And so we trust in Christ Jesus. Even as we sing out, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You see, the world says, listen to your heart. Follow your heart. But we know this. The heart is deceitful above all things. It is, as John Calvin put it, an idle factory. I like what John Newton said, the author of Amazing Grace. He says, in defiance of my best judgment and best wishes, I find something within me which cherishes and cleaves to those evils from which I ought to be horrified and flee from. As I would if a toad or a serpent was put in my food or in my bed. Ah, how vile must the heart, at least my heart, be that can hold a parley with such abominations when I so well know their nature and their tendency. This is the man who was lost but now is found, was blind, but now sees, right? And what does he see? He sees the wickedness of his own heart. He knows that, that his heart cannot be trusted. At the end of his life, he said, I am very old. My memory is failing, but I remember two things. I am a great sinner. And Jesus is a great Savior. Let us remember these same things. Even as we struggle with doubt, even as we struggle with depression, even as we struggle with the fact that God sometimes seems distant, let us hope in him. Let us call out to him. And let us, instead of while the world tells us, listen to your heart, let us know the truth of what we need is not to listen to our heart, but to speak to our heart to speak to our heart, to remind ourselves of the old, old story, to, to preach the gospel to ourselves, to be honest about our fears, our worries, our sorrows, and our griefs, to be, be honest about our weaknesses and our failings and our sin, 
but then to remind ourselves that even in the midst of all these troubles, especially in the midst of all these troubles, in Christ Jesus, God is still there. In Christ Jesus, God still cares for you. And in Christ Jesus, God will ultimately set all things to rights. Let's pray. My Lord, we thank you that you are at work even when we don't feel like it. We thank you that you are at work even when we, even when we feel you are distant. We pray that you would help us more and more to hope in you. We pray for those who especially are, are struggling even right now with sorrow and depression. We pray that you might bring them deliverance from that, bring them peace, a peace that truly surpasses understanding. I pray that you would be present with us, caring for us, and vindicating our faith. For you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.